0: Uh, but the thing is that like, there is a difference between tasteless and controversial. And I think what is the thing that ultimately differentiates between tasteless and controversial? And I think does it have something to say? Is there another side to it? Genuinely.
1: Welcome to Long Live the Music, a podcast from It's All Dead, made by music fans for music fans. I'm Kyle Hawk. All right, welcome to Long Live the Music. I'm Kyle Hawk, editor in chief at uh, It's All Dead, a website Um, that also used to be the name of this podcast. But as you know, now we're called Long Live the Music. If you haven't listened to the past couple episodes, go check them out. Uh, Check out our trailer. Make sure you're subscribed on the uh, podcast platform of your choice. But uh, yeah, this is a free flowing conversation. Uh, about music and music with people that we like to talk to. Sometimes artists, sometimes bands, sometimes journalists, sometimes friends. It's all good, though. We just uh, we have a good time. And I um, was thinking recently, just as there's been um, sort of a an uproar on the internet um, about you know some recent music happenings, I, I just my the gears in my brain started creakily turning and, and thinking about like gosh I feel like it's been a while since I felt this way in terms of the way people are reacting to music I wanted to dig into that a little bit deeper and the, the first name that came to mind uh, was friend of the pod Evan Soddy of Pop Matters and he is joining me today Evan welcome to the show
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I am so happy to be the official guest of the Kansas City Royals Recovery Podcast every single <laughs> time. Is yeah, how's Greg Holland doing? That's really the big question that we're all asking ourselves every single year. So it's just every time.
1: He, he's been a little <laughs> shaky, Evan. Um, but you know, I've I've got hope that he's gonna he's gonna pull it together as the season progresses. It's a long season, as you know, right? And, and we're
0: talking about it today. Yeah. Oh, wrong podcast. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Every this happens every I,
1: time. I know. I swear to God, this time I was like, I bet he didn't prepare some. I didn't. Even, I bet he didn't prepare a little quip. And sure enough, you yeah. did your homework. I love it. Well, Evan, you know, you and I were we we kind of like chat uh, and and kind of share thoughts back and forth around music happenings as they're going on. And of course, we used to uh, write and collaborate and work together at uh, Pop Matters back in the day. And that's kind of where our friendship uh bonded and began and um but yeah i I feel like you're the person i go to like when i'm thinking about things on a grand like larger pop culture type perspective and so um we were uh, talking to each other that night of the grammys um which has been like probably a month ago now um but uh, you know there was it was a definitely an interesting grammys i think they did the best that they could but the the big thing that came away from it that i wasn't expecting um, was the, the performance of WAP by, um, am, am I saying that right? WAP, WAP? I mean, it is WAP.
0: It is WAP, it, WAP, WAP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, so yeah.
1: Megan Thee Stallion, Cardi B. And, um, here, here's the thing. I, so I don't know, probably six months ago or more, it's probably been more than that. I, I tried to get away from Facebook. I just found like that it wasn't a a place for, like, my mental health space to be <laughs> yeah. on, mm-hmm. um, it, which it took way longer than it should have for me to to get away from it. But over the past month or so, I've started, like, just checking in, just, like, pulling it up, the app, and scrolling, and it, it, none of it's been good. But the day after the Grammys, I was just noticing, like, all these people posting about that performance. I was like, this is so weird, because, like, um, I, you know... I mean, it was what it was, right? And, and the song's been out for a while, and, you know, there was... Uh, obviously talk about it last year but nothing to the extent of what i saw and maybe that was just my own bubble my perception in the moment of like gosh i can't believe people are this this angry about it it was the whole like what about the kids type Mm -hmm. of reaction that i just i was so i was taken aback Um, i felt like i'd gone back in time and then within about a week of that we had Lil Nas X drop his new single drop a shoe and Again, I, I pulled up Facebook one morning and people were really really angry about a about a shoe that was coming out and about a music video and I was like oh my god and I so I messaged you around that time and I was like am I am, am I perceiving this right where we've we're like entering back into a place where people are angry and outraged about music and so that's kind of what this conversation is going to be about today we're going to kind of look back at the history of um, of outrage and in, in music at least in terms of our our lifespans. Um, but I felt like we'd been in a, a space of relative calm, and um, you know, even I, I was talking about this Evan during the Super Bowl, the weekend performed the halftime show, and I I, mm-hmm. I found it so funny at the time. The weekend is one of my favorite artists, and I, I, it's just so amazing to think about this artist whose like entire thing is like drug use, and like mm-hmm. you know, and here he is like on Canonistic the, the grandest right? Yeah. yeah. And it's like, this is so, like, I, I feel like if this had happened 20 years ago, people would be through the roof and it wouldn't happen. The weekend never could have played the Super Bowl. But it, it kind of in my mind, I was like, we've we've crossed over some sort of plane, but now we've it, it's just the pendulum has swung. So I'm going to stop here because this is all my my thoughts about it. But is there any truth to this that like all of a sudden you've sensed that um, we've kind of and had this like cultural shift in the way that people are reacting to things related to to music?
0: Well, I mean, just from where I'm at, I mean, the thing is, obviously, you and I are here in America. And obviously, over the last four years, we had the Trump administration to deal with Mm -hmm. and the daily gamut of horrors that was coming from there. And I don't necessarily want to say that it was necessarily... It was distracting us from what was going on in pop culture because obviously, music and movies and other things like that went uninterrupted. But it just felt like, especially over the course of 2020, there was just so much more shit going on where people didn't really have as much time or energy or focus or care as much about mm-hmm. some of the other issues. And I think that is, you know, a gross generalization of what was going on. But in terms of cultural flashpoints and firepoints, there was not the same levels that I've seen recently, as there was uh, as during the last administration, especially over the course of 2020, when we had pandemic and protests and all sorts of horrible things right. happen over the time. It's just one of those things where it almost kind of took a backseat. And that's not necessarily to say that as we are sitting here in 2021, things are just joyous and happy and filled with rainbows or anything. But at the same time, I do feel like there is a slight degree of why is all of this happening right now? Why is the very specific Grammy performance of uh, WAP being getting the kind of attention it did when the original video, when that came out, I think the only thing that happened was uh, Ben Shapiro talking about yeah. how much his wife disagreed about like, oh, well, <laughs> here's the only way that a pussy could get wet. And I'm sorry, I'm using the, using the language. It's going <laughs> to happen on here. But I think the other thing, too, we need to talk about very specifically with Lil Nas X is that he put out a single, but more importantly, he put out a music video. Uh, mm-hmm. In which he's just—I mean, as case you somehow have not seen it—he takes a stripper pole to hell and grinds up and against Satan, and then also as kills you do. Satan. Yeah, you know, as just everyone does at some point in their life. It's just a you know, part of growing <laughs> up. But the thing is that, like, what is so specifically about that? Because also, this is a case where we have an out gay man. Who's rapping about the stuff and just being overt with it and just does not care what anyone thinks and is Mm -hmm. shutting down all the conservative trolls left and right? Like it is quite the event to see. And yeah. so very recently I put together this list uh, for Yard Barker of the 50 greatest music videos of all time. And as I was just kind of going through all these different things, it was very funny to me because there was a lot of things on there, like obviously controversy and outrage over the what's going on of pop music isn't new. Of course, we all know the story about how Tipper Gore listened to her daughter listening to uh, Prince's, uh, oh my God, Darling Nikki, of the Purple mm-hmm. Rain soundtrack and how explicit that was. And of course, that ultimately led to the creation of the uh, PRMC, which ultimately is the place that has those parental advisory stickers across all those CDs. And, you know, people like Dee Snider or Twisted Sister was like out in Congress speaking about it and saying why this shouldn't Mm -hmm. be done. And of course, for many people, especially for my generation growing up, especially in the 90s, you know, sometimes there would be that when I was super young, oh no, that parental advisory sticker on there, that's not what, right. I need to avoid that. And then of course, later on, that's like, wait, this might be awesome. I should definitely get it. You know, like it's kind of it kind of that thing that shifts there. But I would say and this is also kind of taking it back to you is that when I was doing this list of uh, music videos, some of them were controversial, I think specifically about tools, prison sex. Or mm-hmm. nine inch nails closer. Uh and what I it's one of those things where I almost had Lil Nas X on this list too, just it felt like it was so recent I didn't include it. But it was kind of in the same echelon of like, why is this controversial? And I think it ultimately came down for me personally to it, does something have a value worth debating? And I think it's one of those things where if there are times there's a lot of artists that we never hear of. There's a lot of people I remember in the early 2000s, there's this group called the Jenna Torturers, where their gimmick. They were a music group, but they also tried to do various like not full genital mutilation, but basically BDSM stuff on stage as part of their uh, yeah. act. And obviously there's a reason why we're not talking about that this might be the first time the Jenna Torturers have ever come up on a podcast, if I'm being quite frank. Uh, <laughs> but the thing is that like there is a difference between tasteless and controversial. And I think right. what is the thing that ultimately differentiates between tastes and controversial? And I think does it have something to say? Is there another side to it, genuinely? And that's why yeah. no music critic worth their salt is necessarily going to take a "Make America Great Again" rap any sort of seriously because it's one-sided and there's not necessarily a value associated with it in terms of certain perspectives. It might play to a certain base in one way, but I genuinely think that there is. We come to that realm when it comes to controversial with Lil Nas X with WAP. Does it have something to say? What's the other side of it? And that's, I think, where that controversy becomes a debate, which becomes a flashpoint.
1: Yeah, interesting, man. There's a lot there. I'm gonna try to start at the top and and, and work, Sorry, work yeah. my way down. I, no, I love it. Um, that's exactly why you're here. So, first, before I before we get into all that, my first reaction going back to those scrolling through the Facebook and seeing this of one mm-hmm. kind of like the head scratching. My next reaction was excitement. I was like, Oh, this is great. People are mad again. Like yeah, and, and mad about music in a way that I remember when I was younger, um, you know, finding kind of comedic, uh, finding kind of interesting, but more than anything, I think that if, if art is making people uncomfortable that's typically a good sign. I think that, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you used a, an example. There's a fine line there, right? Between like just straight up shock value and then something that is shocking maybe, but is done in good faith with like artistic purpose. And in those instances, I always find that if it is ruffling somebody's feathers, if it is making somebody uncomfortable, is it, if it is making somebody upset, then generally there's something really interesting going on there and a really good conversation to have. Is that, is that fair?
0: I think so. I mean, it's it's you know it's the difference between Human Centipede and Human Centipede Three. You know, at what point (laughs) is there artistic games versus at what point is it just purely exploitative? Uh, And it's one of those things where I feel, and that's where I kind of feel like in going back to it there. And you know, we could you know certainly there is I think obviously a political aspect of it which we don't necessarily have to get into. But I always feel like with music, there is that degree of pushing kind of the moral envelope. Uh, one of the things that came up in music video research, I remember so specifically, when the music video for Criminal by Fiona Apple came out. Mm. And that is a video that doesn't necessarily have anything explicit about it, but it just heavily implies a lot of things about drug yeah. use, a lot of phallic imagery, about a, kind of using this pinpoint light on the top of the camera to kind of give this Polaroid, kind of like this, should I even be looking at this feel to the video, which just kind of made it seem a lot more potentially jail baity or a little bit more, something more than beyond what it is, which apparently even Fiona Apple wasn't too happy about when it first came out and was very angry mm. at the director, Mark Romanek for some time before eventually kind of relenting and saying it was a good video and saying, I'll work with them again. Of course, that never happened. She hasn't put out a music video in forever. But yeah. I think it's one of those things where th- when I think about what that is, when that came out and what was it, 1997? versus where we are at now in terms of WAP, it's, there's been a large cultural shift that has happened. And truth be told, for me, also speaking as a gay man as well, for the fact that someone, I mean, even 20, if, even if you look back at like Friends, if you look back at some sitcoms, even from 2012, 2011, there's still some problematic things That have been said in fairly recent media too. So the fact that we are at this point now where Lil Nas X can have not just success, but thriving, incredible success with a single that is about gay sex and a music video where he's giving a lap dance to Satan, that shows that the envelope has moved in a large direction. But to some people, it always will be too far, you know?
1: Yeah. it's So one, I mean, I I absolutely love Lil Nas X just because he's so smart Um, like, like when I think about back when I was at his age and thinking about like what I could create or what kind of things I could convey at that point, like, it it just seems impossible that he is as just as sharp as he is. Mm -hmm. And it's, that's what makes it so incredible. And like, I don't know if anything, I I mean, one, the song is great. Um, I, I have no idea if any, I mean, obviously you expect that you're probably going to upset people that are already going to be upset by mm-hmm. things about Lona X that are who he is right but like i don't know if he would have expected the full like like the the whole encompassing like backlash to it that actually happened but as you implied earlier like he was already equipped to handle all of it like perfectly and mm-hmm. that was what was so amazing about it is that he was and again i just I, I love him so much i can't stress that enough um but what what he's doing with his art um and just his personality and his approach to all of it um it has just been amazing to see and the, the other thing i was thinking so when you, I'm, I'm really excited about your music video article because um it one of the things that i, I think kind of got lost in my brain and thinking through all this is the role of the visual element in music videos, specifically um, in in this instance. And for so long, it was that, you know, music videos are dead. I mean, ever since MTV has been off the air, right? It's like, but I've I've held this firm belief that that's actually not true. Um, And and we've seen so much of that in recent years. I mean, even thinking back to like, this is America, Childish Gambino, like what, what people are doing with the format now, and it's consumed completely different, than it used to be. And it's almost like the purpose of what you're doing with the music video is different now, but the medium is still very much alive. And I think mm-hmm. the the low Nas X example is like a perfect, uh, encapsulation of that.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And And again, it's one of those things where we, part of the reason why it's still controversial is because he knows how to keep it in the media, because he's still constantly engaging. But we are growing up on a generation that grew up with these controversial videos. They grew up Mm -hmm. having seen these things. They grew up having seen, you know, videos that have been a lot more progressive and pushing than, you know, anything else they've seen. So they are more equipped for it possibly than ever before. And truth be told, even like Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion. Uh, they they truly, I don't think, give too many fucks about what people think either. They are mm-hmm. going ahead and just kind of doing their thing and are being defined about it. I think also the WAP one, it kind of takes on another dimension too because It's the kind of the shock of it was, was how how dare women be so overly sexual and own their sexuality so overtly, too, which I think for some people certainly felt like an outrage by itself. And again, there was some outrage with the video, but even more outrage during the performance. Kids could be watching this along with Taylor Swift, along with whatever metal act. Didn't Hollywood Undead play at the one time? I think so. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But like, you know, it's one of those. Oh, go ahead.
1: No, I was just going to, the thing about WAP too, and and even when there's so much to unpack here, but you know, you look at WAP, I mean, the the entire thing with that is, you know, there's so much history of like the hyper masculinity um, and sexualization of women in rap music, right? Mm -hmm. And so we've kind of been going through this, at least I, I hope the first stages of a revolution in terms of hip hop music and female voices and what it's like. Um, to experience rap in that form, and so this is like an uh, again a moment in time in which like there's this outrage, but the outrage is the people having it are outside of the context of the entire thing, right? And I think that's that's another thing to remember. And and so often I feel like that's what it's been, uh, you know, when I think back through just my lifetime, and I, you know, we're around the same ed- age, Evan, and we remember the uh you know the the burning the, the CDs, the the printal advisory, the rap music, you know, mm-hmm. piles of uh, you know, CDs burning in the, you know, parking lot. I don't know where I don't know why people did that. But, but I mean, even... it's
0: it's their form of protest. You got to show those uh, currently titled band, the t- Chicks. You know what they really think about the, where they stand politically. But also, I yeah. think you you also brought up the uh, thing of also listening to rap music as a kid. There was certainly issues there, and also Marilyn Manson when he had his breakthrough in the late '90s. There was mm-hmm. a lot of controversy. I very distinctly remember the video for the Dope Show, in which he's yeah. kind of uh, sw- wandering around the desert in a it's it, there's it, the chest you know, it's like a breastplate, but not really, but like it's, I could still mm-hmm. see it on TV and it was just its own unique, you know, unique entity in and of itself. But I remember there, it was just such a visual that I just hadn't seen before, but there was kind of that shock value nature that happened in the nineties, which, right. you know, he there was a degree of which they wanted to shock with their art to see what also kind of what they could get away with. And I'd seen there are certain artists who also run into that degree of, oh, I've gone too far. You know, I think you don't, those examples kind of usually get washed under the sides of history, but there's always that fine cultural line of people want to kind of dance between. And so I think for WAP and Lil Nas X to have, have these things happen where they are, uh, it's a big deal. But again, people have been outraged by music itself. People have been outraged at musicians themselves too. And I think what you're specifically getting at, because people have been outraged at musicians before, because obviously, oh my God, the John Lennon said the Beatles are bigger than Jesus. Let's cancel mm-hmm. the Beatles. That was the original cancel culture. I mean, <laughs> you know, if we if we're real, no, I'm kidding. But uh, like, legitimately, now people are actually outraged about the actual contents of the song. And yeah. I, you know, and I think that the the song and the videos as well kind of like go hand in hand. Even I remember there was controversy with uh, when Jay-Z when he put out the 99 Problems video from 2004 mm-hmm. because it ended with himself getting shot too. And yeah. even then, if that was one of the things that came up on my music video list, I had him on there for 99 Problems as well as his 2017 video, The Story of OJ, which was a grim uh, and powerful piece of work that used kind of the old uh, racist cartoon style of like the early early like you know Disney animations and then kind of turned it on its head to say something about his own decadence, his own uh, views about uh, racism about where people fit into that and it was just a striking piece where I'm like that I don't even know if I love the song or say some of, some of the lyrical phrases but I definitely was felt felt the impact of it too. You know, there is yeah. still that fine line of which he's, and the one thing about JC I'll give him credit to at this point in his career, he's had enough success that he doesn't care what, what right. the reaction is. He doesn't care if he has another chart topper at this point. It's just for him, it's a different thing, but obviously not every artist can get to that point, but you know, yeah. that's its own thing.
1: Well, as we're talking here and I'm thinking more about it, I think there's another element too here of, and they did a really great job at the top of this of talking about this relative, uh, at least, in my mind, space of calm we've had in this regard because the outrage was directed elsewhere. There was too much to even like spend time thinking about some of this stuff, whereas now Mm -hmm. we're back to having the freedom to do so. But is there something to the outrage coming from a place of, you know, if we think about kind of the suburban outrage against rap music in in the early 90s and this idea that you know, white suburban America didn't want the black experience like spilling into their living rooms, like there was a a safe wall in place there, a safe way to keep distance, whereas now there there wasn't. And there was a, there wasn't a way to avoid that conversation anymore. Or even when we think about WAP and thinking about like, you know, the the female sexuality in, in this context in which there's been a way to like compartmentalize that or, or keep it like sectioned away. Or Lo Nazex, X, who's somebody that people can't, like, in their brains, they can't, like, fit him into that, that spot that they have that makes sense. And so there's this immediate, like, you know, visceral response to it. I don't feel like I'm articulating this well, but as I think back through it, I can think of moments like that where it makes sense that... When the art is pushing something forward, it's pushing a conversation. When there's something opening up that people have tried to keep at bay, then it's like a defense mechanism kicking in or something.
0: Yeah, and I do think that a lot of times, and let's just be you know real about ourselves here as music listeners, as people too. Uh, you know, a lot of the outrage tends to usually come from white cis straight folks by and large, is what you typically sure. see. And I remember, you know, like, and I remember being a kid growing up, you know, near the suburbs in fucking Utah. Uh, you know, there is a certain degree rap music still bled through. There was certainly a cool factor to it that kind of belied race. And to a bunch of high schoolers, I think there was a you know, there was a genuine love for it. And I think there was also some people that, you know, misappropriated it quite significantly. I also think it's so fascinating that, you know, I think what was at the very first platinum rap album, if I'm not mistaken, was uh, actually by or the first mega multi platinum album was by uh, Vanilla Ice and he was hmm. mentored by MC Hammer and he somehow got you know bigger success before him on there because right. there's a degree to which you know having a white person embodies some of the ideals or, to, you know, to kind of, I don't want to necessarily say whitewash as is, but there is certainly a degree of buy-in that a white audience will have when mm-hmm. that happens or if Eminem happens. But at the same time, the artistic aims, there were some kids, you know, white suburban kids who probably really got into Nas in the 90s as well. But now it's up to the point too, where critically in terms of the discourse, if you're going to be a participant or a person who enjoys rap music, there are certain things that you just can't ignore anymore. At this point, when you have uh, Kendrick Lamar saying the things that he's saying on albums like uh, to pimp a butterfly and then also winning uh, some of the most prestigious awards in all of existence outside of, you know, Grammys when he's winning uh, Pulitzers for his work, but he's moving on to this different level at this point. Like we can't really ignore it as a genre anymore. And I think when we talk about shock, when we talk about culture, when we talk about outrage, there are these flashpoints that happen of just an event, a cultural event that happens that you just cannot ignore. And I think some artists try and manufacture it. Some Definitely achieve it better than others, but when the childish Gambino dropped the "This Is America" video in 2018, that was a striking. That was a thing that everyone was talking about because it, you know, was one of the clearest and most shocking music videos I'd seen. Because when you really mm-hmm. think about it, this is a video that very explicitly shows gun violence, and not gun violence in a way that is glamorized or romanticized. It's just cold. It's mm-hmm. just this cold. The two, multiple people get shot in this music video, and yet here he is out in front doing these TikTok dances and other things yeah. while everything's going on. And it's the thing where people are just like, he's saying something, he's making a point, but also we had to talk about it. that song went number one. That song won the Record of the Year Grammy, and that is right. when you listen to the song itself that is very much not a song that I would ever imagine in any sort of Uh chart-topping manner because it is tied out to the visual. But it's very clear that it's also at the same time, the music video as we're talking about all of these things, and you could even qualify the Watt performance to agree as a music video, a three to four minute concise package to visually say what you want to say is the perfect, the perfect weapon for outrage too it is the yep. perfect thing where you want to get a point across and people can digest it and make their own opinions out of it. It's not a two hour movie. It's not any of these other things. You can just watch it in one go and be like, well, I have thoughts about this and I need to put them online. So I feel like this is a generation to, we're coming across people that have been able to weaponize the form in a beautiful and brilliant way yeah. uh that, that was also a kind of all over the place answer but still like kind well, of,
1: no yeah. I, I think you know bringing up this is america is a great segue into talking about like music that's meant to strike a nerve in being protest music and this is america like that whole package i think there is a level of uh i, I don't know whether to label it protest music specifically but there's music as cultural commentary mm-hmm. and music as protest music and that's like a whole other Thing. And I've talked a lot, of, I mean, uh, just during the whole Trump administration, we, I had multiple conversations on the show talking about like, what what does protest music even look like? Because we, we've had such clear moments where music could speak that marginalized voice. Music could speak out against injustice. And it was so clear in the moment. But the the previous four years were so so packed with shit that it was almost hard to like get out from under it. Right. And we think of like, um, you know, we, you know, even last summer with run the jewels kind of dropping their album when they're dead, like we've had moments like that, a tribe called quest uh, right after the, uh, um, the uh, Trump inauguration. And Mm -hmm. so like, there's been moments like that, but it's almost been like protest music has had to like refigure itself out of what it looked like in the midst of all of that. But I think one of the questions that this all raises is because um, I wouldn't necessarily also classify what we're talking about with Lil Nas X or WAP as, as protest music. But protest mm-hmm. music, what what does that look like now? What are you seeing um, and and what does it take for protest music to strike a nerve in the way that it does, which is completely different than something that just causes like a backlash, outrage from somebody that doesn't like understand it?
0: Right. And I think, well, the letter, better question at the end of the day is what is protest music these days truth mm-hmm. be told and for me it's one of those things where i just try to think of what is a genuine protest song and honestly one of the most recent examples i can think of is the hell you tom about by uh, janelle monet uh mm-hmm. and which uh i remember was very vividly covered by david byrne in his uh broadway show that he did uh for a time there and i just remember it's one of those things where like because i think about like in the day i remember a lot of people saying oh during the you know bush administration there's going to be a lot of great protest music and i mean There kind of was, but really, is it so much confirming a worldview or is it summing up how people feel? I remember during Mm -hmm. a lot of Black Lives Matter protests that were happening in 2018 and 2019, uh, there was, of course, Kendrick Lamar's All Right became a rallying cry As well. And is that so much about a specific event uh, so much as it is about summing up everyone's feelings about it? Because unfortunately, at that point, it become a thing where black people being murdered by cops is commonplace enough where it doesn't necessarily apply to a specific event. But that was a song that very much kind of articulated a lot of different things at once. It wasn't one specific thing. It summed up everything. And so yeah. it's one of those things where I think about what is it now? There's this great scene. There's this movie that came out, one of the big Oscar contenders of this last year, called One Night in Miami, which is an imagined uh, meeting. Mm-hmm. Of uh, Did you see that by chance?
1: I have not seen it yet, but okay. it is on the list.
0: But it is uh, yeah, obviously it is the, an imagined b- meeting between uh, Cassius Clay and Malcolm X and Jim Brown and Sam Cooke. And at one point, there's this whole thing where Malcolm X, obviously being a very appointed and political, and you know they they argue in the movie. He's a very radical person too, but he keeps going and picking and prodding at Sam Cooke over the idea that you know, like you have this voice, you have this platform. Why aren't you using anything to say anything about it? to Mm -hmm. say anything about what we're going through right now, what the struggles that we are facing. And at one point, he then breaks out uh, a Bob Dylan record and he plays A Change Is Gonna Come. And he says, look at this. Here's this white boy doing what you should be doing right now. And it's this very pointed moment of just like mm. Sam Cooke pushing back, saying that like, I have artists signed to my label. White artists are covering these songs. I'm getting money back into the pockets of uh, my people. And the, then here's Malcolm X saying, yeah, but it's not you saying anything as well. And it kind of is a low, I, again, it's an imagined conversation, but it kind of leads to the idea that Sam Cooke would then continue on and write more protest-minded music as he continues on in his career. And that yeah. scene struck me as a uh, very, it was one of, I think, honestly, one of the best scenes of the entire movie because the movie is basically a stage play. It takes place in a park. But it really addressed that idea of what are you using with your platform as well. You know, I feel like there are times when artists need to say things. I do remember back, I think it was in 2004. It was Pink's album After Misunderstood when she did Dear Mr. President. Uh, She had, you know, there were there were people when it was talking about the the Bush administration. There was a lot of things that came out of there was protest art. But at the same time, even when I think back to Green Day's American Idiot, it's one of those things where I feel like that was something that was written in a reaction to, obviously, what was going on with the Bush administration. and right. But I, at the same time, I think about, was it protest rock? Are these protest songs or is it like protest art? Like I kind of run into that thing where huh. I feel like I run into that ex- the question of like, I don't know exactly what protest music is. When I think about Kendrick Lamar's Right, when I think about Hell I'm Tall About. I, these are things that just strike me as rare, rare outliers in terms because so many other people try and they just get it wrong. And I feel like, yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's just it's one of those things where I just feel like there is not as enough. There's something very specific that has to happen on here. And also it's one of those things where as we increase in time goes on, especially as we hit the 2020s, it's very clear that. When it comes to what protest music and the horrors of the going world, I am going to refer to people of color first and foremost about these things because they have suffered through so much more things mm-hmm. that they have so much more to say about these things than a white person genuinely at the end of the day. Yeah. But, yeah.
1: Yeah. 100%. Um, well, it, you know, I, I guess what you're trying to get to is like figuring out that actual definition, right? And Mm -hmm. and so one of the things I had down here in the notes is uh, just talking about the idea of art leading to discussion and change, which is something that, I mean, that's the whole reason I even do this this podcast, this website. Mm -hmm. The the only reason I've ever invested as much of my life and time into music is because um, I truly believe that it has the power to change. I do truly believe that it has the power to um, create valid and valuable discussion. And so protest music, however you want to define it, The idea is to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. But I mean, we can say that Lil Nas X is doing that currently, too. I mean, I think that what he's doing is I do think that he's doing it for him um, because he is he has this opportunity now to tell his story in a way that so many people haven't. But also think about the types of conversations that are happening because of that, that are like Mm -hmm. really productive, like outside of the outrage. Right, right, right. And and I think that's where it gets really interesting and, and where you don't even really need to draw the lines or create the definitions. Because if something like that is happening, then I mean, that's productive in and of itself. And that's what I think is so, so great about having this conversation right now. That's the whole reason I want to have it just because I, I feel excitement that that's taking place. Mm-hmm. And that that makes me feel really good, so.
0: Yeah, can I, I just, and just out of curiosity, what was your relationship when Eminem M&M came out? Like-
1: Yeah, so, <laughs> this is funny, I have to decide if I want to cut this or not, but like, um, you know, 1997, 1998 is where mm-hmm. my, my life changed in terms of like, I was- in it with hip-hop. Um, mm-hmm. And I've had a lot of conversations lately about how much unexpectedly for me, um, hip-hop changed me, like sent me on a trajectory personally, uh, politically, everything about where I am today, I think is because of some of those moments. And it wasn't something that I was expecting at the time. You know, by the time Eminem came out, I felt this weird association as being the kid in my school that was really into rap music. And, you know, I grew up in a small town in Kansas. You know, there mm-hmm. wasn't a lot of diversity. And so th- there wasn't like this large swath of people that were... Rap music was dangerous at that time in the, in the town I lived in. Mm-hmm. And I felt like there was this weird association from everybody else to me with Eminem. Like, oh, well, this is something that you'll obviously like. And I that really irked me back then. It Really upset me. And so early on, even though like from an art perspective, you could, I, I was aware of the talent of Eminem. I didn't like the, I didn't like what was coming out of it in that regard. And I, I realize that's more personal than it is like thinking from a larger lens. Um, it's still valid but, though. Yeah.
0: Part of the reason why I wanted to just ask you about your relationship with Eminem is because I feel like at the time, too, he was, he was a controversy in kind of the other way, too. He was creating these moments of just like, oh, he's such a good rapper, but also this is something that's slightly homophobic. Oh, he's doing all these, is such a great lyricist, but also there's all these fantasies about killing his wife. And I remember yeah. that was just, it was almost on the complete opposite spectrum of everything else we're talking about today. That was controversial and kind of a different side. And I feel like, too, it's one of those things where our culture is reactionary, and especially with the way critical culture has evolved as well. I feel like we're in a point now where we can reevaluate things and we can say, because I feel like the things that if Eminem tried to do almost any of what he was doing back then today, I don't think there would be a room for it in the discourse. Oh, for sure. The way that there yeah. was. And, you know, And I feel like it's very important to keep that in mind, too, because as much as like, oh, the Beatles saying they're bigger than Jesus, oh, my God, what a, you know, a moral boundary-pushing thing it is, completely different from where we are now. And I feel like we, as a culture, are able to go ahead and reassess and reevaluate these things. I remember, if you want to talk about failed protest music, let's not forget Eminem's cypher that he did at the uh, BET Awards that time. <laughs> uh, that one's like, oh, my God, my coffee pot is hot. And I'm like, okay, let's just... <laughs> Let's just stop with whatever. Hey, yeah, that's the uh, the
1: here. moment that Keith Olbermann decided rock music was okay. So. We make a lot of jokes about that on this podcast.
0: <laughs> Listen, Keith Olbermann, he is he is my cultural vanguard, as we were fully aware. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, but genuinely, it's one of those things where I feel like that's worth bringing up too, because. That is then you could that is someone who is trying to do a protest song and it just absolutely didn't work because as much as like okay you want to do an anti-Trump song great it just didn't have the impact it didn't have the same feeling of it as any as anyone else was able to right now genuine because also at the same time Eminem you are a rich millionaire at this point and so right. therefore I'm glad you want to engage in the cultural discourse and I know you want to say something politically but also. I'm not going to deny your chance to say that space, but I just feel like you should also read the room a little bit too. You know, there is there we're constantly in those kind of negotiations with ourselves about you know what you know what is viable. But then again, within even something when you have WAP, when when you have Lil Nas X, when they're moving sexual politics the way that they are. I still think it's a conversation worth having, and I still love that even like weeks after the song went number one, we're recording this podcast and we're still having the conversation. It's still a flashpoint, yeah, yeah. and it's fantastic for that reason.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I uh, one thing real quick on the you you mentioned the just in kind of continuing the Eminem thing, and we're thinking about kind of the the uh, backlash against music in the 90s, is that almost when we look back on it, the things that were that people were upset about were actually the wrong things in hindsight. <laughs> you talk about a Marilyn Manson and Eminem, we can look back and be really troubled by things that were actually not the things at all that people were focused on in the moment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really fascinating too, is like the things that maybe we miss um even in the midst of outrage, completely missing the mark or missing the the thing that needs to be the point of discourse. So it, it's all really fascinating. Um I, I love thinking through this. I, I appreciate you coming on to uh try to talk through it all with me. Um before we go, I, I want to hear a little bit more about this uh 50 greatest music videos of all time piece for Yard Barker. Is it was this a was this an idea you had? Is this a was this an assignment? Because I, you know, every year for the website, I do this, t- you know, 10 music videos from 10 years ago or whatever. I, I just, mm-hmm. I get drunk one night and I just <laughs> spend all night on YouTube watching old music videos. I, I do that sometimes even without writing an article, but I, I, I love it's doing that. Right. Yeah. This, this project you're doing sounds, every time you're on, there's something cool that you're doing. This one sounds like the most up my alley thing of all of them.
0: Well, and the thing, it was my, it was a pitch that I did because I hit for some reason when Daft Punk decided to piece out, I was like, okay, this inspired several pieces that I wanted to do of, you know, artists who left at the top of their game, essential Daft Punk, like all these other things there. And I was also thinking about the music video legacy and I realized that uh, a 50 greatest music videos thing could be fun to do, but also it is narrowing it down to just 50 is extremely difficult. I had to, and even then, I, even during the actual editing of it, I had to, I was rewatching some of them and there were times where like, I had this on my list. I'm like, I got to swap it out for something else I already cut. One of the biggest ones I had to do it with though. It is a good video. I just don't think it's on the same level iconic, but I had to do uh, A Freak on a Leash by Korn. I initially had yeah. that in there because there is it was a controversial video too. Beautifully filmed, but it just deals with the animation of the cover art, this kid's playing hopscotch on a cliff, right. police officers trying to tell him or you know, a security guard's trying to tell him to knock it off, falls down, his gun fires a bullet that goes out of a poster and into the real world and shoots through everything. And then ultimately somehow comes back into the thing and, you know, the girl is magical or whatnot. I don't know what specifically the point yeah. of it was, you know. But I just remember, man, that was such a stylish and stylistic and fascinating video. And then when I yeah. look at it nowadays, I'm like, what is it saying? And I couldn't I couldn't yeah. answer that question. You know? you know,
1: that's interesting. I haven't thought about that one in a while. And you can talk yourself into it saying all kinds of things. But yeah, the question of what what is the purpose of it? What, yeah. what was the artist intent is a whole nother thing
0: and also it's one of those things where i feel like i don't know about you i always feel like having grown up in a white suburban utah like i did as well i feel like once i really turned on to pop culture i kind of had to do a little bit of making up the time too so i feel Mm -hmm. like when i came up with this list i was scouring a bunch of other resources i looking at what other people were saying were the best because there was obviously some things that i personally am going to miss and so there were some videos i would watched for this that i had never seen before because genuinely i had never seen prison sex by tool and Watching that video is harrowing as hell. It is a grim, striking video. But also, I'm like, this came out in 1993. How did they get away with that? That is incredible. And then, of course, another one that came up as well, which I had to rewatch and couldn't believe was actually made, was the Smack My Bitch Up by The Prodigy uh that is another song and music video which got a significant amount of uh flack and controversy and apparently was banned in several places when it came out uh but uh it's yes, not even on youtube at this point mainly due to the you know graphic female nudity and sex that's going on there but also right. just the gradual kit and run uh things as well randomly well, i don't know oh sorry go ahead
1: no, go, finish your the thought there.
0: Oh, The other thing I was going to say in terms of like uh, attempted protest music, all I was thinking about was uh, when Madonna did the music video for uh, What It Feels Like for a Girl, one of my favorite songs she's ever done, one of the best songs off of Ray of Light, and then she did a dance remix for the video, and the music video was directed by Guy Ritchie of her driving around and shooting people yeah. with water guns. And what, I'm like, honey, no. That, no yeah. I, Madonna, I love you. I love the boundaries that you break in terms of someone that also is a controversial flashpoint, but in that one case, I'm like, no, you got this one wrong. I'm so sorry.
1: Yeah, I well, I'm glad Madonna got a mention on this podcast about outrage about music, right? I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's so we could talk about this forever, but it, now I'm thinking about all of the. I mean, I I grew up watching MTV; that was like my my entire world, and just even you saying this is kind of that reminder of how much that like the MTV culture at the time, and we can talk about all the things that MTV got wrong with how long it took them to start, you know, showcasing and celebrating black art. Mm -hmm. There's a million things that we can look back on and and deconstruct as far as the, the marks that were missed. But one thing that is clear is even from those early days, they were pushing boundaries in that way in terms of art that really we hadn't seen on on television, you know, Mm -hmm. in terms of like visual representations of music. And obviously we're talking about the genesis of the music video. So it makes sense. But in those early days, even in the 80s and 90s, there was so much done with music videos that was really the the source of the outrage and not the music itself. So it's it's Mm -hmm. really interesting to think about.
0: Right. And I feel like because of the MTV generation, it just became hand in hand. You know, by itself, like there were still songs that by themselves as songs could be uh, controversial, but at the same time, there is still this huge part where I feel like music videos and singles are so intrinsically tied together that we ultimately have that feeling. And I feel like This Is America by Childish Gambino, again, what a weird fucking song that is truly truly Mm -hmm. the video was so engaging and powerful and associated with the song it's one of those rare times where when i hear the song i think of the music video and i think about the imagery that's going on with this too which is its own its own thing but that's that this honestly i gotta be honest this all sounds like a wonderful discussion for another episode
1: well this has been a great episode and evan thank you again for taking time out of your day uh to talk with me and talk with our audience we love having you on uh yeah let's do it again soon
0: that sounds great
1: all right that is going to do it for this episode of long live the music as mentioned previously come subscribe to the podcast on your favorite uh, podcast app leave us a review on apple podcasts if you feel so inclined and of course of course come visit us at itsalldead.com we've got all kinds of great content there for you to enjoy we'd love to have you stop by that's going to do it for today's episode i'm cal hawk and we'll catch you next time Thanks for listening to Long Live the Music. If you like our show, come find us on Twitter and Facebook at It's All Dead. And of course, come visit our website, itsalldead.com.